good Sunday afternoon to all of you out there listening to The Catholic Journey. This is Deacon Pat coming to you from South Sacramento, just on the edge of Elk Grove, and the recording studios of The Catholic Journey. Well, can you believe it? We're already into March, and that being said, that means we're just a few days away from Ash Wednesday, and that's the beginning of Lent for so many of us in the Catholic world. Lent is a time for us to really slow down, purge some things out of our lives, and just truly, really reflect on who we are internally and externally, who we are in our relationship with God, who we are in our relationships with our spouse and our family and those most close to us, and who we are in respect to how do we present ourselves to those in the world. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about an article that I read some time ago, and it popped back up again in Church Pop. And what it is, it's a priest warning against the devil's 10 deadliest tricks. And in this article, it really talks about Satan. Satan, who is the snake, and that we should never forget that. That he's a liar and the father of all lies. He's at work in our lives trying to tempt us into sin and to draw us away from God. But he's also at work in the world, trying to deceive us and confuse us. He wants us to lose our faith and to turn away from God. And he has many tricks that he shares with his dominions. And remember the St. Michael prayer talks about how the devil and all of his uh, dominions and evil spirits and how they prowl and roam around about the world trying to seek the ruin of souls that's a reality and i think for many of us maybe not you listening to this uh, podcast but for many in the world they actually seldom think about the devil and evil spirits and i think that's that's something that the devil enjoys because if we're not focused on that there is evil out there if we're not focused on that there are spirits out there trying to tempt us and to draw us away from God, um, he has much more power. Because if we don't, if we're not alerted to that or aware of that, it's so easy to be missed, in especially these subtle temptations and, and how conniving and sneaky the devil is. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is one of the tricks of the devil is relativism. Relativism is the idea that there is no such thing as truth. The devil doesn't want you to believe in truth because if there's not truth, then there's also no right or wrong. And if there's no right or wrong, then anything goes. He can tempt you into sin much more easily if he can first get you to believe there is no such thing as sin. Now, how many of you out there have been cognizant of the culture that we live in? And the the saying, and whenever my wife hears this, she uh, comes unglued, and I understand why. And she says, the saying that you hear, it's all good. Um, I think that's part of relativism, that there is no right or wrong. There is no truth, that truth lies within the person. And whatever they believe to be true is true. And that's destroying our culture. That's part of relativism. There is black and white. There is truth. There is sin. And I think we need to be cognizant of that. And so maybe we can take a little bit of time and think about how do we think about the truth in our lives? How do we think about when we're posed with the situations of what often people will say is political correctness and you need to be tolerant of other people? Well, that tolerant to me is just this flag, this big kind of code word that means 
it's all good, that you should allow me to believe whatever it is, and I can spread that wherever I want to spread it, and it should affect you, because if I believe it's true, then you need to believe it's true. And that's just hogwash. That makes no sense, because that's not the way that Jesus conducted himself. There was truth, and he would call people out for, for spreading lies as well. And I think that's something maybe we need to pray about and think about in our, in our own circles of influence. Do we do it in a respectful way, but do we call people out and say, that is not true. That is not truth. That maybe is your, what, your perception of truth, but really just because you believe it to be true doesn't mean it's true. When I think of things like abortion, murder, euthanasia, acting on homosexual uh, inclinations, I say acting. Some people are, have homosexual inclinations and live a very chaste life. But when you ig- don't acknowledge those as being mal or bad, then um, then you can act upon those and you have no uh, guilty conscience for that and you don't see it as sinful. It's at least infidelity in the least, but it's more than that. I think it's uh, disordered as well. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about a little bit, and it's probably related to some degree, is indifferentism. This is the idea that all religions are pretty much the same, and it doesn't matter which one you follow. Indifferentism is common with with Protestants. How often have you heard someone say, It doesn't matter what church you go to as long as you love Jesus. This indifferentism extends to multiculturalism as well. People say it doesn't matter if you are Hindu, Muslim, Jew, Sikh, Buddhist, Catholic, whatever. We're all climbing the same mountain, but by different paths. Well, maybe so in some way, but some paths are better than others because they're more true. And to be honest, some of the paths are actually the opposite, and they're spiraling downward, especially religions of hate, hatred. But let's be clear. Jesus Christ is the fullest and most complete and final revelation of God to the human race, and Catholicism is the fullest, most ancient, and most complete union with that unique revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The truest path to heaven and to all eternity is the Catholic Church. That is truth. Yes, could someone of not the Catholic faith end up in heaven? Well, God's grace is abounding. But why did he send his son here to establish a church if it wasn't the true church? So that's something to ponder as well, especially when you have thoughts. You probably all, and I do too, we probably all have good friends or friends that are very good people and they maybe belong to another religion. But that still does not make that religion equal to our own. The Catholic faith is the true faith. The other thing I'd like to talk about is electicism. This is a close cousin to indifferentism. It's the idea that you can mix and match different religions and spiritualities all together. Kind of like those places where you make your own ice cream sundae. People think this is possible that they have already people think that this is possible because they have already subscribed to indifferentism. Think it through. You can't mix up Islam and Christianity or Buddhist spirituality with Catholic prayer. It's not like making your own Sunday. 
It's more like putting ketchup on ice cream or using white paint as coffee creamer. And think about this a little bit. I think we're surrounded with this, and I think we're even surrounded with it within the Catholic Church. How many Catholics do you know that are just crazy about yoga? Yoga, in its essence, is a religion. It has a deep faith that's embedded into yoga. So if they think that they're living this Catholic life, this fervent Catholic life, but spend hours each day meditating on really the elements of yoga as they're doing their physical stretches. Those elements and the spirituality of what yoga is based in is, 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 has nothing to do with Catholicism. <laughs> so I think we have to beware, um, and, you, and I don't know if you're aware of it or not, you probably are, maybe even more than I am, that, that yoga has just skyrocketed in popularity, even within the Catholic faith. Well, the fourth thing that I want to share with you is sentimentalism. And this is basing moral choices and belief choices based on emotion rather than eternal truths. It can be good emotion or bad emotion. You get mad at someone or some choice someone has made, so you based your moral or your faith decision on your anger. Or you might feel syrupy and nice about something, so you based your emotional choice on that. Here's an example. Two guys want to get married, and you say, Ah, Ronnie and Donnie are such nice guys. Why shouldn't they get married just like everyone else? You're basing your decision on your emotions about Ronnie and Donnie. Your desire to be a nice person and sentimental ideas about weddings and celebrations and big days. We have to be very, very careful about that. Again, we might all know people in our lives that are nice people, but if they want to act on their homosexual inclinations and they want to be married, it, it does not fall in line with the truth of what marriage actually is. I think we all know as Catholics, the foundation of marriage is to procreate, to have this marital union that's based on the relationship that we have with God, and to have this, really, this marital embrace and this marital bliss, and to procreate, and therefore further the uh, creation of human beings into this world and form them with a moral uh, conscience and Christian values. That's at the basis of what marriage is. And how can you do that with a homosexual marriage? But I think so many, that's just one example of how people make decisions on their, really their emotions. And I think you see it all the time, especially if you watch the news. And um, I think the politicians um, have mastered this in some sense. They will take um, different issues that um, are maybe prevalent or or prominent in our culture, and they try to mix in individuals, nice people, or difficult circumstances, and they play with our emotions to try to get backing for their agenda and what they want to do, and often they play with our emotions to get their support, and it has nothing really to do based on what's true, true or just, or what's right or what's wrong, and often they use that tactic to steer us away from actually pondering and thinking about the reality of what's right and wrong. They want our emotions to help make those decisions. 
Okay, the next thing is utilitarianism. And this is basing moral choices and belief choices only on what seems to be effective, efficient, or economical. Here's an example. Mom's in a rest home. She has dementia. It's expensive to keep her there. The doctors offer to give her an injection so her problems will be over. Do you see where we really have shifted with this kind of a scenario? Because how many people would be in favor of this? How many people are in favor of euthanasia? Because it's not practical anymore. Grandma or mom's getting expensive. Um, she needs more of our time and she needs more of our consideration. And um, why don't we just uh, rationalize that and say, let's put her out of her misery. Um, I think you might agree that in the last 50 years, I think there's been a progressive attack on really what we see and how we feel and how we recognize the dignity of the elderly. I think the devil has had a strong play in that. And I think this is where this utilitarianism has really um, grown because um, once we're convinced that this human being can't be um, an active participant in our culture with their work or what they have to offer, um, we see no uh, utility in them anymore. And that gives us the grounds for making choices um, to maybe end their life choices that aren't really based in morality, or good morality at least, and it's just based on what what can we get from that person. And if they can't give what seems to be worthy, then let's, um, let's get rid of our own burden by having them disappear somehow. And I think we do that with the thoughts of euthanasia. I think we do that when we just shut people away into these uh, care homes. Now, I'm not against care homes, uh, but... What is the purpose of the care home? Is it just to get the, them out of our lives? Or are they actually needing the care that a care home can provide, but yet we keep them as an active member of our family and uh, and really spend our time and quality time with them, which is very rare, I think. Okay, now we're jumping into incrementalism. And incrementalism, this is just a long word for drip, drip, drip. In other words, the devil doesn't put his plan in place all at once. He takes over brick by brick. It's a little lie, then one little half-truth, then more little lie, and then one more little half-truth. And be clear what he is doing from the start, and don't give in. He will, give you, he will get you to give in to his ways through sentimentalism here. Utilitarian argu arguments there. Here, a little bit of indifferentism. There, a bit of relativism. He's working all the time, nibbling away, never sleeping, never at rest. I think a story was once shared with me that the devil, if he came right out with many things and just threw them out there in front of you, as, a, as good Christian people, as good Catholic people, we would reject most of them. But he's sneaky. He's sly. He's very stealth-like, and instead of coming out with what he wants you to do, which is really immoral and against God and the commandments, he will work at you. He will really nibble at you. He will set up long, long kind of plans and these slow, progressing scenarios to get you really to break away from Christ without you even knowing that you're doing it. 
And I think that's why for many of us, and it's really a foundation of being a Catholic, is that we have our, our every night evaluation of conscience. Because we need to look at our day, we need to evaluate our actions, we need to separate ourselves from the distractions of the day, think about the encounters that we had in the day, and then also really think about how was I Christ-like today? Look at where we fell and then put a plan together on how we can improve our lives. If we do this and we're cognizant of the big things and the little things in our lives, the devil has a lot less power. Now, what the devil wants you to do is to not think deeply about anything. Run your life through emotion. Be so busy and have so many distractions and have so much noise in your life that you can't hear the little whispers of Christ, the little movements of your soul, the soft voice of your conscience talking to you, and have you so busy even up till bedtime that you go to bed and you're exhausted because you've been only getting four to five hours sleep a night that when you do put your head down, there's no time for thought or reflection. You just pass out. And then beep, 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 the alarm clock goes in the morning and you're up and running without any thought of really your actions or your relationship with Christ. Sound familiar to any of you guys? <laughs> okay, now... Jumping into number seven, we're almost getting to the end of the list. It's materialism. And I'm not talking about going to the mall to shop until you drop. That's a minor form of materialism. The deeper problem is the growing conviction that there is no supernatural realm. God, the angels, demons, heaven, and hell. They are just a myth. There's no invisible world. The sacraments are just symbols. The church is just a human institution. The priests are no more than social workers dressed in black. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Confession is no more than therapy and self-help and baptism and confirmation are just nice rites of passage for kids. That's materialism. Do you recognize it? Hmm, something to think about. How much of our life do we really devote to tangible things, to objects, things that we desire, things that we want. And they're things that we can see with our eyes, feel with our hands. These are just things that we want to fill our life with. I talked. I remember talking to a, an immigrant from Guatemala years ago, and he was saying, I just can't understand this American culture. He says, you guys work all the time. You know, not only, you know, 40 hours a week, but a lot of times you have multiple jobs. You work six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. Also, you can earn more and more and more money so you can buy more and more things. You actually have so many things, you can't even fit them in your own house. You have to buy places in storage or you buy storage sheds or you rent space to put your things. He says that makes no sense in the Guatemalan culture. <laughs> He says, you, you, you need to possess what you need to have to live. Not so much that you have to make more money to be able to rent space to store things that you don't use. Obviously, you're not using them because you're storing them. That's materialism, you guys. <laughs> okay, scientism. This is the idea that the only kind of truth that you can know is scientific truth. I hear this a lot in my world. Nobody states this as such. It's a powerful lie of Satan because it is one of those things which is simply assumed in society. What I mean by nobody states this as such is you don't hear it quite as much um, 
as it's it's just kind of a given in society. We've we want everything to be scientifically proven, and if you can't prove it to me, it's not real. Um, that becomes really a contrasting problem when it comes to faith, because faith in itself is something that you can't prove. It's based in faith. It's our belief. So if you have a society that says that if you can't prove it to me, it does not exist. See how problematic that can be? You know, we have this backwards. God has created a reality and God is truth in himself. God is the existence of everything within himself. As we discover more through science, it reveals or helps us understand more and more about what God has revealed to us or what he hasn't yet um, that we can understand. But science helps us to understand that. But the scientists of today have this backwards. They say, if we can't prove it, it doesn't exist. So it's backwards. There's so much more that is of God, that we don't understand, that we don't have the ability yet to, or ever, to to prove because we're not God. But the scientists see themselves as God. If they can't prove it, then it does not exist. See where this is backwards? But that's scientism. It's a huge problem for us. We all know that science has disproved the Bible, right? No, that's wrong. All truth is God's truth, and true science is always the sister of true theology. Scientism is the offshoot of an assumed atheism. There isn't a God. There is just the laws of science. That's all. Spot on and name it. It's obviously incorrect, but it's so prevalent in our society today. Okay, number nine, closing in on number 10, is situational ethics. This is another name for moral relativism. The idea is that nothing is right or wrong except for the intentions and circumstances of the moral choice. If you mean well and the circumstances justify it, then what you've chosen to do is okay. Huge numbers of Catholics have accepted first artificial contraception and then abortion because of situational ethics. It's easy to see that this form of relativism is usually linked with sentimentalism and utilitarianism to bring people to the point of choosing mortal sin, but never admitting it and justifying their choice. It's not Catholic. Don't fall for it. If you are faced with a difficult moral decision, talk to your priest or a good spiritual advisor. Don't make your decisions because of your fears that you have in your life or make your decisions on feelings. Feelings, that remember the devil loves to use your feelings to prompt you to make decisions that are often against morality. So have some wise people in your life, people grounded in your faith that you can go to, that you can talk to, that you can discuss. But again, you need to make these decisions in your life. You're the one who's going to be judged by God in the end. Yes, he can be a merciful God, but he's expecting you to make wise and informed choices. How many of you guys own a catechism? And when you have a tough decision to make, 
How many of you open up that catechism and do your due diligence to understand what the church teaches? I bet you very few of you. I do know some in my life that use the catechism, and they study it, and they use it not so much like a book that you'd read from front to back, but more of like an encyclopedia, that when you have a question about something that you'll open it up, you'll reference it, and you'll know exactly what the church teaches and why it teaches. That's really what the catechism was designed for, at least for layman's use, to have that ready book of answers. Yes, we have the Bible we can go to, but even as student of the Bible, it can be very confusing, and that's why we have concordances and things to help us with. But the catechism, the catechism is written in such a way that it's easy to discern really what is at the root of, of the teaching of the, of the church. And we have that available to us. That's the blessing that we have as Catholics. Okay, finally, number 10, universalism. This poison straight from hell is the idea that God is so loving, kind, and merciful that he won't send anyone to hell. In other words, everyone will be saved. Everyone will go to heaven. This not only directly contradicts sacred scripture, but it contradicts all the teachings of the church for the last 2,000 years. It has lulled thousands into the false security that in the end, it doesn't matter what they do and what they choose because they will all make it to heaven at last. Satan loves universalism because he gets to dress up his lie in the clothes of the Father's greatest attribute, the divine mercy. The best way to repudiate this lie is to fear hell. How many of us have an honest and healthy fear of hell? Knowing that hell is a reality and that if we don't try to live the best life that we can and that we try to follow Christ and grow continually in our love of Christ and to serve Christ and that if we turn away from Christ and we make that decision through our actions that we are not doing what is the will of God in our lives, that we will go to hell for all of eternity. Now think about that. Especially think about that over Lent. God is continually prompting you, giving you urges, giving you small revelations, helping you with grace in your life to understand who and what he's calling you to be. And how are you responding to that? Yes, he wants you to be in heaven, but he also gave you a free will. And with that free will, he will allow you to make choices, even if those choices mean having mortal sin and separating yourself from Christ and God and really allowing entrance into hell. Okay, that was some heavy stuff and tried to throw it to you quickly. <laughs> it's a lot to think about. But anyway, thank you for taking the time. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful uh, um, um, Ash Wednesday and that this uh, Easter or Lent season will be very fruitful for you and that you'll grow in your relationship with Christ and that we'll be able to celebrate at the end of um, our Lenten journey better people uh, with a closer union and relationship with Christ and that we will be all the more prouder and probably humbled by seeing our weaknesses 
but actually feeling loved and united with Christ. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, and I will see you next week. God bless, and may God forever keep you.